If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Actually, we're going to begin in verse 9 and read all the way down to verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. We will read to begin our study this morning. And if you're taking notes, um, I have titled our study this morning, No Regrets. No Regrets. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And you can let me know that you have it by saying amen. 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 This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth and also to the church of Templo Victoria. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, this morning, I'm going to um, talk about an event which is referred to in Scripture as the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Now, this event, the judgment seat of Christ, it really refers to a future event when all believers, all Christians, all those who have been born again by the Spirit of God, where they will stand before King Jesus and they will have to give an account to him of what they did for him on earth. The judgment seat of Christ, all believers in the future, one day they will stand before King Jesus and they will have to give an account of themselves to him. This event is for believers only, for Christians only, and it's going to be one of the most incredible events of our Christian experience. And it's so important that we talk about this event. It's so important that we study this event. And it's so important that we start thinking about this event. Um, really, if you read the writings of Paul, if you read Romans and, and here in Second Corinthians, the judgment seat of Christ was always kind of at, at the forefront of Paul's mind and Paul's heart. Paul did everything knowing, expecting one day that he was going to have to stand before Jesus and give account of himself to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and I want to talk to you about it. I want to share with you this morning concerning the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I, I have to say this, though, at the beginning because really what I want to do is I want to clear up any confusion that you might have. Um, I, I've talked about this with many people. I've, I've taught 
concerning it. And, and this is a confusion that, that some have. And so I want to clear it up right at the beginning. The judgment seat of Christ, it's not a judgment to determine believers salvation. It's not a judgment. It's not an event to determine whether or not you go to heaven. That's not what it's about. That that has nothing to do with it. It's a judgment or an examination to determine your eternal rewards as a believer. So so I just want to clear that up because many get confused as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a born again Christian, you will never be judged or punished for your sins. How many could say amen to that? You know, oh, man, uh, we should say hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise God. We will never be judged for sins committed past, present, future at the cross. Jesus paid the price for all our sins, all our sins. Everything we have ever done or will ever do has already been judged at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so because of what Jesus has done at the cross in our acceptance and application of that work by faith, we never have to fear a future judgment for our sins. We've been forgiven. We've been justified completely. As the song says, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And as believers who have accepted Christ, we will never pay anything for our sins in eternity. However, I do want to say this, those who have never accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord, they have everything to fear concerning a future judgment. The truth is those who have never given their life to Christ, and if they step into eternity without giving their life to Christ, one day they will stand before the great White throne judgment in books are going to be open in all those whose names are not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. And so the Bible teaches the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers in its an examination to give rewards. And the Bible also talks about the great white throne judgment, which is for non-believers and involves judgment and punishment. And so from the beginning, I just want to bring a distinction for these two events. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. It's not to judge sin. It's not to punish sin. It's simply to examine and to give rewards and the great white throne judgment is for non-believers and it's to judge and punish sin. And so I just wanted to clear that up at the beginning. And I want you to know that this morning we are going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, speaking to the Christians. Now, the word that Paul used for judgment seat in the original Greek language, it is the word bima, bima. And so this event at times is referred to as the bima seat of Christ. Now, this word bima, it would have been very familiar to the Corinthian church whom Paul was writing to. You see, just outside of the city of Corinth, there was a large Olympic stadium. And every year, athletes from all over Greece, they would make their way to Corinth and they would compete in Olympic games in this stadium. And as the, the, the officials of the city were preparing for the Olympic Games, they would go to the stadium and in the center of the stadium, they would make a platform known as the Bema Seat. In the center of the stadium, they would construct a platform which was called the Bema, the Bema Seat. And this was the purpose of that platform. When an athlete competed in an event, and if he won the event, the officials would take him to the center of the stadium. They would take him to the Bema seat, and there they would publicly reward them with a crown. It's, from, it's, it's very similar to the medal ceremony in our modern day Olympic Games. And so with that background of the word, Paul tells Christians, us, that one day we're going to appear before the Bema seat of Christ. Really what he's telling us is one day we are going to be personally examined by Christ and publicly rewarded by Christ. A day is coming when all believers are going to stand before King Jesus. We're going to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we're going to have to give account of ourselves to him. Person to person, face to face, eye to eye, every one of us as believers will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Just Christ and Christian. No family, no pastor, no youth leader, no deacons. Just you and Jesus. Face to face, you will stand before the throne of King Jesus. And everything you accomplish for Christ here on earth, everything you did for the kingdom of God during your lifetime is going to be examined on that day. Every act, every service, every deed is going to be examined by fire to see whether it's acceptable or unacceptable to the Lord. And the Bible teaches us that 
whatever endures the testing, whatever endures the fire, it's going to produce a reward by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can turn with me to to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want to read with you briefly verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. The, the Apostle Paul, he expounds a, a little more concerning the judgment seat of Christ. And he kind of gives us a basic idea of how it's going to go down when we stand before King Jesus. And I want to read it with you, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it this morning. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Everybody have it? Amen. Amen. Let's read it together. According to the grace of God, verse 10, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let Each one take heed how he builds on it. That's an important phrase. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day or the judgment seat of Christ will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Amen. Yet so as through fire. And we'll end our reading there. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, the Apostle Paul compares our Christian walk, our Christian life, to building a house. And Paul tells us that the foundation that we build upon is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the rock of our faith. Amen. Jesus Christ is the foundation on which we build our Christian walk upon. But after we receive Christ into our hearts and into our lives and accept them as our personal savior, the truth is we begin to build on this foundation. Let me explain it a a little easier. Throughout your Christian walk, you're going to do things for the Lord. You're going to serve the Lord in ministry. You're going to perform many services in his name. Whether you're going to serve in a particular ministry, whether you're going to support a ministry, whether you're going to faithfully give your tithes, whether you're going to study the word, share the word, share the faith. Every one of us 
after we give our life to Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of our faith, we start building upon the foundation. We start ministering unto the Lord. But, but here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us that there's really two types of Christians who built upon their foundation. The, the first ones that he mentions are the Christians who build upon their foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. And he tells us that in verse 12, that there's some Christians who they build upon their foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, all that it, that that's describing is it's describing Christians who serve the Lord, who do works for the Lord with the right motives. That's what it means when Paul says that we build upon our foundation with gold, silver, precious stones. All he's saying is that there's some Christians who as they offer service to the Lord, as they're ministering to the Lord, they're doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it with the right attitude. They're doing it with the right heart. They're serving the Lord. They're ministering to the Lord. They're offering Christian service. They're giving to bring glory to Jesus Christ and not to bring glory to themselves. It's describing Christians who are not concerned with the praise of man, but who are only concerned with bringing glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ. Those are the Christians who build upon their foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. Christians who are faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted them with. Faithful stewards in how they spend their time. Faithful stewards in how they spend their resources, their energy, their health, their money. Those who are faithful and obedient to the will of God. These are the Christians who build upon their foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. You know, Really, the the most important question you can ask yourself as a Christian, as you're ministering, as you're doing something for the Lord, is this. As a believer, why do I do what I do for the Lord? What is the reason? What is the motive? What is the attitude that I do what I do for the Lord. Why do I serve in a ministry? Why do I give my tithes to the church? Why do I spend time in prayer and the study of the word of God? Why do I offer Christian service unto the Lord? What are my motives? What are my reasons behind everything that I do in my Christian walk? Do I do it for my glory or do I do it for the glory 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we do what we do? Are, are, are we bringing glory to God or are we bringing glory to ourselves? Are we giving Jesus a hundred percent or are we giving Jesus the leftovers, the leftovers of our time, the leftovers of our money, the leftovers of our talents and abilities? Are we taking the lead or are we playing the background? What's the motives? What's the attitude? What are the reasons why we do what we do for the Lord? You know, it's so easy. There's such a danger to have the wrong motive within the church, to have the wrong motive as we serve the Lord, as we minister unto the Lord, as we give to the Lord. There's a danger because our heart, it's evil, it's wicked, it's, it's, it's deceptive. And a lot of times we, we think we're doing something good, we think we're doing something great, but the truth is we're not because our heart is, is, is not in it. We got bad motives, bad attitudes, wrong reasons. You know, I'll be honest with you. It's hard to be behind one of these pulpits. It's difficult. It's tough. It's only for those who are called by God. Because there's a danger that you can be behind the pulpit with the wrong motive, with the wrong reason. It's hard to be up here singing. It's hard to be up here playing. It's hard to be serving. It's hard to offering service unto the Lord because it's so easy to get caught up with the hype and to start fooling and start thinking to yourself, well, I'm somebody special. I love the applause. I love the attention. I love when people come up to me and say, you did a good job. You spoke to me. You ministered to me. Or when they come in tears saying, God used you to speak to my life. And and, and right away, there's a danger that we start thinking to to ourselves, I'm someone special. I'm the anointed one of God. I'm the new Moses. Thus says the Lord, you know, and there's always a danger. There's always that battle to be serving, to be ministering, to be giving, to be praying, to be studying the word with the wrong motive, with the wrong attitude for the wrong reasons. And Paul tells us that we need to make sure That as we go throughout our Christian walk, as we're building upon our foundation, that we're building with gold, silver, and precious stones. We need to make sure that we're doing it with the right reason and with the right motive. You see, Paul, in verse 12, he tells us the second type of of Christians, believers, who are building upon their foundation. And he tells us that they are believers who are building upon their foundation with wood, hay, and straw. You got the first type who are building with gold, silver, and precious stones. Those who are doing it with the right motives, 
the right attitude for the right reasons. And then you have those who are building with wood, hay, and straw. And that really describes believers who are serving and ministering before the Lord with the wrong motives, with, with the wrong attitude for the wrong reasons. Those Christians who are more concerned for their glory than the glory of Jesus Christ. Those Christians who are more concerned for their honor than the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those Christians who are more concerned with their praise, getting praised by man, than for the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the Christians who are building with wood, hay, and straw. Christians who have failed to be good stewards to what the Lord has entrusted them with. Believers who have failed to use their time, their energy, their money, their resources to invest in the kingdom, to build up the kingdom, but instead they use it to build up their own kingdom. And these are the believers. These are Christians who are building upon their foundation with wood, hay, and straw. And so Paul tells us that one day, every Christian, every believer is going to stand before Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We're going to stand before Christ in our works, everything you did, your entire Christian walk, your entire Christian service is going to be examined by Jesus and it's going to be tested with fire. Your, your, your entire life, every service, every hour, every cent that you gave, that you shared, that you spared, that you invested, it's going to be presented before Christ, examined, and it's going to be tested. And Paul tells us that everything we did for the wrong reasons, with the wrong motives, it's going to be consumed by the fire and we're not going to receive a reward. But he tells us that everything we did with the right reason, with the right motives, is going to endure the fire and we will receive a reward. Really, what Paul is telling us is that our works are not going to be judged on the basis of quantity of how much you did, but it's going to be judged on the basis of quality. Why did you do it? You know, because a lot of times in our minds, we think, well, it matters how much I did for the Lord. It matters how many people I led to Christ. It matters how many people I minister to, how many children I teach, we're so big on numbers. And we think numbers equals 
success. We think that because we have a, a big class or a big congregation or because we do so much, we think to ourselves, well, I'm successful. I'm honoring the Lord. The Lord is, is happy with me. The Lord is pleased. But the truth is, the Bible teaches us something so different. And the Bible says, it's not the quantity that matters, but it's the quality that matters. It's the motive behind what you do. It's the attitude. It's the faithfulness behind the word. What did the Lord say? Because you were faithful in the small. Notice how he didn't say because you were faithful in the big or the great. Or notice how he didn't say because you did so much. He said because you were faithful in the small and the few, I will reward you with many things. God's economy is so different than ours. God is not interested in quantity, but he's interested in quality. The heart behind the service. And this morning we read, we learn, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this morning, as we read that, as we study that, as we contemplate it, we need to examine our Christian walk. We need to examine our Christian service and we need to ask the Lord to search our hearts. That's really what God has placed in my heart to share with you this morning, that we all need to examine our life, our Christian walk. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to see whether there's any spiritual hypocrisy within us. To see if there's any spiritual laziness within us. To see if there's any spiritual negligence within us. We we have to search and examine our Christian walk. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to come and remove anything that needs to be removed. That this morning, the Holy Spirit can bring changes to those things that need to be changed. Because the truth is, one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the reality. That is where you're headed. If you look up and if you think hard enough and if you meditate long enough, You see that the throne of Christ, you see the judgment seat of Christ. That's where you're headed as a Christian. And now is the time to prepare. Amen. Now's the time to prepare for the judgment seat of Christ. Now's the time to make changes. If you're going to make changes, now's the time To make them. Now's the time to do things the way the Lord wants us to do them. You know, really this life, it's a dress rehearsal for all of eternity. That's what this life is. 
All you're doing in life is you're preparing for heaven as a believer, as a Christian. You see, you're, you're not living for this life because you all know this life is temporal. You all know that one day you're here, the next day you're gone. This life, this world is not our true home. Amen. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this is the time that God has given us to prepare for heaven. This is the moment that God has given you to prepare for the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's what I, I see my ministry as, as preparing people for the judgment seat of Christ. Preparing other believers for the day when they stand before Jesus. I like to talk about these things. I like to teach about these things because it's my duty. It's my responsibility to prepare you, to get you ready when you stand before King Jesus. And you have to give account and you, you're going to be examined. And I just pray and hope that that when that day comes, that you don't suffer great loss. That your entire Christian walk, your entire Christian service, I pray and hope that it doesn't go up in flames. And I pray and hope that for myself, too. But my desire is that when we stand before King Jesus and our life, our Christian walk is examined, tested by fire, I pray and hope that it endures and that we receive a great reward. But in order for that to happen, we got to start preparing. We got to take advantage of the time that we have. You know, just um, a few days ago, they were sharing with me that that a, a sister here from our church, that that her husband passed away. He had been battling cancer and and he went to be with the Lord. And when I thought about that, I said to myself, man, I just remember seeing him here at church. And he would stand, he would sit in that section over there. And I remember seeing him. And I remember he would come up for prayer. And then from one week to the next, I learn, I find out that he's with the Lord. And the Lord really spoke to me and really showed me, really revealed to me, time is so short. You can be here one day and you can be gone the next day. Time is so short. And we can't ignore, we can't put aside the fact that one day we're going to stand before Jesus. Amen. We can't ignore that. We can't neglect it. We can't say to ourselves, well, I'll start preparing next week. I'll start getting ready in a year from now when I'm a little older, when I'm a little wiser, when I'm a little maturer in the faith. We can't do that. The Holy Spirit is telling us this morning, 
Prepare for the judgment. Get ready for when you stand before King Jesus. Get ready. Start making preparations when you stand before the king. Set yourself up for great reward and not for great loss. Amen. Now, now briefly, I want to share with you five rewards that the Bible mentions that we can receive at the judgment seat of Christ. We, we refer to these as crown rewards. Now, remember, we're all going to stand before King Jesus. Our lives, our Christian service is going to be examined by fire. That which endures is going to produce a reward. And the Bible mentions five crown rewards that we can receive from the Lord at his judgment seat. Now, a lot of people ask me, is there more than these crown rewards? Can we receive something else? I don't know because the Bible doesn't mention it. So I don't try to pretend that I know something that is not found in the Bible. So there could be more. There could be other things. Maybe we can like receive a a heavenly car. I don't know, you know. (laughs) But the Bible mentions these five crown rewards. And I want to mention them to you. And I want to give you some verses that you can look at at another time. First, the Bible mentions the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. And this is what Paul says. And everyone who competes for the prize exercises self-control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. An imperishable crown. And so the first crown reward that the Bible mentions that we can receive is the incorruptible crown. And it would seem, according to the context, that it will be given to believers who exercise self-control in this life and who faithfully walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You know, there's some believers that their Christian walk is like a roller coaster. They're always up and down, up and down, and they're never consistently walking in the spirit. They never learn to apply the truth that the cross frees us and delivers us from the power of sin and that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be self-controlled and to honor God in our bodies. And to walk holy before him. And so those Christians who do learn that, who do apply that, who do walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, they're going to be rewarded by the incorruptible crown. Let let, let me mention the second crown. It's called the crown of rejoicing. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse 19. Paul says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? 
And so this second crown, the crown of rejoicing, is going to be rewarded to believers who participate directly or indirectly in the winning of souls for Jesus Christ. The the crown of rejoicing is going to be given to believers who learn how to share their faith, who evangelize, who give to missions, who fight for a life, who intercede on behalf of the lost. They are going to be rewarded with the crown of rejoicing. I always had asked myself, why is it called the crown of rejoicing? And this is what I came to conclude. That in heaven, we're going to see many people who in some way we helped to lead them to Christ. Whether we shared our faith with them, whether we prayed for them, whether we gave to missions and a missionary went to their village and shared the gospel to them. We're going to see many people directly, indirectly, we led them to the feet of Jesus. And as we see them, as we just see them rejoicing in the presence of God, we're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice that because of our service, because of our faithfulness, they are going to spend eternity with Jesus. And we're going to rejoice. You know, I can imagine you parents. How are you going to feel in heaven when you see your children in the presence of Jesus? How are you going to feel? Are you going to be rejoicing? Are you going to be excited? Are you going to be filled with tears of joy? To know that because of your example, because of your testimony, because of your prayers, that your children followed your example, gave their life to Christ, and for eternity, they're going to be with Jesus? How are you going to feel? What's going to be going through your heart and mind when you see all these things? You are going to be rejoicing. And the Lord is going to reward you with the crown of rejoicing. How many could say amen to that? The third crown I want to mention is what we call the crown of righteousness. It's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so the third crown mentioned is the crown of righteousness. And this crown will be rewarded to believers who live in constant, eager expectation for the return of Jesus Christ. It's going to be given to believers who love the appearing of Jesus Christ, who think, who live, who love in light of the rapture of the church. You know, when I was thinking about the crown of righteousness, I thought to myself, isn't it so true that If you think about the rapture every day, 
And if you tell yourself Jesus is coming today, it's going to affect the way you live. It's going to affect the way you act. It's going to affect the things you do and the things you hear and the things you see. If you believe that Jesus is coming back today, your entire day is going to change. You're going to live holy, righteous, upright before the Lord. And so Paul says, for those who love the appearing of Christ, for those who are always thinking about the return of Christ, they're going to be rewarded the crown of righteousness because they're going to live in righteousness. If Jesus came back at this moment, are you ready for his return? Will you be ashamed or will you be prepared? Something for us to think about. The, the fourth crown is the crown of life. This one I, I'm sure many of you have heard of. Revelations 2.10. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Many people don't know, but this crown is not only mentioned in Revelation 2.10, but it's also mentioned in James chapter 1, verse 12. James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so this crown is going to be rewarded to believers who faithfully endure trials and believers who faithfully lay down their lives for the faith. They are going to be rewarded the crown of life. Now, the last crown I want to share with you that we are able to receive at the Bema seat of Christ is the crown of glory. And that's found in first Peter chapter five, verse four. And Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, this crown in the context, it will be rewarded to believers who faithfully feed and shepherd God's people. You might say this is the crown for pastors, for church leaders, for missionaries, those who invest in the lives of the people of God. And so we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Our lives, our works will be examined by fire and that which will endure produces a reward. The incorruptible crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of glory. Which crown will you receive? Which crown are you preparing yourself to receive? You know, I shared this with somebody once and they told me straight up. They said, you know what, Adam? You know, all those crowns sound cool. They sound nice. But what's the big deal? As long as I'm in heaven, I'm cool. That's all I want. You know, those, those rewards sound nice. They sound neat. But 
my friend told me, as long as I go to heaven, as long as I don't go to hell, I'll be okay. That's fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. And if you're here this morning and maybe you have that attitude, I want to end by sharing with you this. If you can turn with me to Revelation, Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Revelations chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And this is what it says. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. What's the big deal with the crowns? The more crowns you receive from Christ, the more crowns you can lay at his feet. That's the big deal. That's why it's important. That's why we need to prepare ourselves. For the judgment seat of Christ. The more crowns you receive, the more crowns you can lay at his feet. And listen to this. I want them all because Jesus deserves them all. You know, really here in Revelations 4 verse 10, I like to call it the ultimate act of worship. It's the ultimate act of worship. It's going to be the ultimate act of worship to lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Because think about this. The crowns are going to represent your entire Christian walk. That crown or those crowns will represent everything you did. Everything you did for the Lord, everything you stood for, everything you gave, everything you shared will be represented with those crowns. And so by taking off the crowns and by putting them at the feet of Jesus, what you're saying is, Lord, everything that I was able to do, everything I accomplished, everything I gave, everything I shared Was because of you, Lord. Was because of you. You receive the glory. You receive the honor. You receive the praise. You are worthy, Lord. And that's going to be the ultimate act of worship. And it's going to be sad that some Christians are going to present themselves before King Jesus and their head is going to be bare. No crowns, nothing to show for your entire Christian walk. You're going to be presented before the king. And in ancient days, whenever you presented yourself before a king, you had to bring a gift. You had to honor the king with a gift or an offering. And there you are in front of King Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And you are going to come empty handed, empty handed. 
Now's the time to prepare. Now's the time to get ready for the judgment seat of Christ. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to present myself empty handed. I don't want to come before my king with nothing to show for my life. I don't want to have regrets. You know, that's why I titled our study No Regrets. Because when I think about the judgment seat of Christ, the first thing that comes to my mind is no regrets. I don't want to have any regrets when I stand before Jesus. I don't want to be standing before Jesus and think to myself, I could have done more. Could have shared more. Why did I spend? Why did I waste so much time on things that didn't have eternal significance? Why did I spend so much time watching TV? Why did I spend so much time on the phone? Why did I spend so much time on the internet? Why did I spend so much time doing foolish things? I could have done more. I could have gave more. I could have prayed more. I could have shared more. I could have been more passionate for Christ. I don't want to have any regrets. No regrets. No regrets. Listen, listen to this. You only have one shot to make a difference for Jesus Christ. You only have one turn, one life. One shot to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to take advantage of my time, of my shot, of my chance. And I don't want to have any regrets. You know, um, here at church, I got a little office. I got a room that I do all my work, my study, my counseling, my classes in. And, um, and on the, the walls, I, I, I got pictures. And I got quotes. I got verses um, that just remind me of what it's all about. You know, that, that keeps me focused, that, that inspire, that encourage me in my Christian walk. And there in, in front of my desk, I have... A picture of how it's probably going to look like when we stand before King Jesus. On the picture, there is Jesus sitting on a throne in his glory, angels surrounding it. And there's a man standing before the throne, standing before King Jesus. And I always like to look at that picture and remind myself that one day I will be that man. And, and there to the side, you know, just by way of reminding and encouraging and inspiring me, I wrote the phrase, no regrets, no regrets. And so every day when I come to work, when I come to share, when I come to teach a class, the first thing I see is this picture of this man who will one day be me standing before King Jesus 
with the phrase, no regrets. And I remind myself every single day, prepare for the judgment seat of Christ. That's how I start my day. Prepare for the beam. Have no regrets. Give everything to the Lord today. Make the most of your time. Don't waste time. Don't waste your life. No regrets. No regrets. No regrets. When you're standing before Jesus, no regrets. No regrets. That that we can stand with the conviction, with the comfort, and knowing that we gave Jesus everything. That we gave him our best. That we gave him everything he entrusted us with. And that we can stand with no regrets. Now's the time to make preparations for the judgment seat of Christ. May God give us the grace. May the Holy Spirit give us the ability to stand before King Jesus with no regrets. You know, today, and I'm going to end with this, we're celebrating Pastor's Day. My dad, you know, he's been serving the Lord over 40 years, and he's been pastoring for over 30 years. And then when I I think about his life, when I think about his testimony, his ministry, one of the first phrases that come to my mind is no regrets. It's going to be all worth it in the end. When you stand before King Jesus and when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, there will be no regrets of any sacrifice you made here honor let's stand and let's end in a word of prayer if you can give me a little music in the background father we want to thank you for your word and lord we want to thank you that you love us so much that you have warned us that you have shared with us about this beam a seat that one day we will stand before about the the judgment seat of Christ. You love us. You you care for us so much that you don't want us to be surprised, that you don't want us to be caught off guard, but you want us to be aware. You want us to understand that one day, one day very soon, each of us as believers, as Christians, will stand before your judgment seat. 